0: I do not believe in a fate that will fall on us no matter what we do. I do believe in a fate that will fall on us if we do nothing. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it, we will not surrender for it now or ever. We. Our Americans. This is
1: Always Right on AM 1420, The Answer. Here's your
0: host, Bob France.
1: And a good Friday to you. Thank you for joining us at seven minutes after the hour of nine o'clock on this Friday. And yes, it is. It shall be a free for all Friday. It's the 28th morning of the first month of the year of our Lord 2022. And, uh, yeah, uh, it's a free for all. We've got a lot of, uh, a lot of room for you to make some phone calls today at two one six nine zero one zero nine four five or 888 281 Either one of those numbers will get you here. Christina Hagen's going to join me a little bit later on in the program, second hour, and, uh, she's got some thoughts on the Supreme Court nomination. And affirmative action in action, and what that means to the uh, one of the most powerful positions in the uh, in the world. Uh, you know, I talked about this yesterday. I don't want to rehash the obvious when I said that the nine Supreme Court justices arguably are more powerful and more important to get right than the President of the United States, because the President, if you pick the wrong one, it can be fixed in four or eight years. That's all they can serve. Um. But when it comes to Supreme Court justices, they can serve for four decades, perhaps. It's a lifetime appointment. And so you've got to get the right one. It's that important. And because you've got to get the right one, you can't be limiting your choices to a certain color or a certain race or a certain uh, litmus test or anything else. Because uh, the the, the impact, the ramifications are so long-lasting. You can't just limit it and, and make an affirmative action higher so that you can say, look at that, we've got some, uh, you know, new window dressing on the court. And yes, that's what this new nominee by Joe Biden will be, window dressing. That doesn't mean the person won't be qualified, but they're going to know, and so will everybody else in the in as history is told in the future. They're they're going to know that they were picked not for their qualifications, but because they met one of the two most important requirements, or two of the most important, the only two important requirements, black and female. That's it. That will make them window dressing, even if they're brilliant, even if they're great jurists. The fact of the matter is, there may have been better jurists, but nobody will ever know because they limited the search to black and female. So it's it's an astounding thing to, to take one of the most important uh, positions in, in the country. But back to my main point here, if you accept that, and if you also accept that the United States continues to be as a superpower economically, militarily, and so forth, if you consider the United States the preeminent nation in the world, and I do, that it makes the Supreme Court justices with lifetime appointments, you know, perhaps the nine most important and the nine most um, impactful people in the world. That that makes sense? I mean, it may be a stretch. You may say a dictator like Xi Jinping in China is more impactful, because that's a lifetime appointment when you're in a communist nation. You may say the same thing about Putin. They've got lifetime appointments, and they're very powerful nations. So it may be a stretch to say that a Supreme Court justice is one of the nine most important or powerful people in the world, but not much of one. Again, if you count the United States as being the world leader in so many ways, then you have to recognize that what I'm saying is real. That the lifetime appointments... Which outlast by many many decades in most cases any president or any president's platform policies or anything else that ne- that nine member body uh, have a much longer lasting impact on the country and a longer lasting impact on the rest of the world. So uh, we're going to talk about that today. Uh, Christina Hagen is going to talk about it. So am I, and I look forward to your thoughts on it. To two one six nine zero one zero nine four five or triple eight two eight one eleven ten. So uh, that's coming up. And uh, I want to start our program now before we get into the nuts and bolts with our Pledge of Allegiance. Patriots, please rise. If you have a flag nearby, please face it. If you do not, that's okay. But put your hand on your heart and join us for the recitation of our Pledge of Allegiance. Leftists, supporters of affirmative action on the Supreme Court, supporters of eliminating people based on the color of their race, or excuse me, based on the color of their skin and their race, Eliminating people based on their chromosomal uh, uh, makeup? Eliminating people that have perhaps the most most qualifications for a spot on the Supreme Court because they don't meet the identity politics requirements of a bat-bleep-crazy president? If you support that, well, then you don't have to say this pledge. Take a knee next to your favorite ex-quarterback. For the rest of us,
0: I pledge allegiance to the flag. Of the United States of America and
1: to the Republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. All right, 12 minutes after nine. Uh, Let's stay right there because that is where I want to start this monologue on this free for all Friday. There's a ton of news. The White House has fired a bit of a preemptive strike against the GOP and people like me who are critical of the idea of racial discrimination and sex discrimination when it comes to appointing a Supreme Court justice. Um, They put out a statement yesterday, and Jen Psaki read it and commented on, on, on it during the White House press briefing that said the president's view is that anyone who's saying that that's not possible or we can't find the most eminently qualified person, that's ludicrous. I mean, that's suggesting that a black woman should not be a part of the most important court in the nation, that there aren't black women who have distinguished themselves by rising to the top of the legal profession with the strongest credentials imaginable, end quote. Of course, that is not true at all. No one is saying that a black woman couldn't be the most qualified person. What we are saying is, that we'll never know because no other qualified persons who aren't black and female are being considered no one else will have their resume lined up next to whatever black woman that Joe Biden nominates will have no one will be able to put their resume next and say look at these qualifications look at this experience compared to this one who's better we'll never know the only resumes that will be considered are those of black women And what does that mean? How deep is that talent pool going to be? Abigail Schreier, uh, noted author and journalist, uh, tweeted this yesterday. In response to Biden's tweet, by the way. Biden's tweet reiterated what we know. Quote, the person I nominate to replace Justice Breyer will be someone with extraordinary qualifications, character, experience, and integrity. And they will be the first black woman nominated to the United States Supreme Court. He's so just enthralled with identity politics. He cannot get past it. It's got to be something from the Rainbow uh, Coalition or something from the BLM Coalition or something from the uh, uh, BIPOC. I mean, it's always going to be identity. It doesn't matter what position. It doesn't matter whether it's defense secretary. It doesn't matter whether it's education secretary. It doesn't matter whether it's uh, transportation it's always got to be identity, 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 identity. They think that the United States cabinet and the Supreme Court, the presidential cabinet and the Supreme Court, somehow, some way, need to reflect the breakdown of the demographics in the population. They do not. Those positions are supposed to be reserved for the very best at what they do to to um, increase uh, the quality of life and to protect the quality of life for all Americans of all colors, of all sexes, both of them. Anyway, Abigail Schreier wrote, while millions of black women have character, intelligence, and integrity, there are only approximately four judges that have anything close to the experience necessary to be a Supreme Court judge. That's a tiny pool for Biden to restrict his search to. And that's a very, very clear way of saying it. That's a bold way of saying it. That is also an accurate way of saying it. Now, some may say, well, well, who's to say it has to be a judge? It's true. Not every Supreme Court justice appointee or nominee has been a judge. Elena Kagan is an example. Of course, I would probably point to Elena Kagan as as an example of what not to do. But okay, whatever. Uh, It doesn't have to be a judge. But generally speaking, Supreme Court justices do come from the judicial world. Generally speaking, that is a fact. And what Abigail points out is, is irrefutable there are only approximately four African-American females or black females who have the significant experience necessary in in most circles when it comes to putting together a resume or a a curricula vitae, um, a a professional vitae, uh, to to be in that position. So he's going to restrict in a nation of 330 million people Uh, in a nation of, you know, 250 million adults, he's gonna restrict it down to about four or five people that could possibly do this because of his demand that identity politics be put first. By the way, it should also, I should also point this out, since I'm quoting a couple of important tweets from yesterday. Charlie Kirk, Salem's own Charlie Kirk, tweeted this yesterday. And it's so easily provably true. Quote, Never forget that the man who is committing to nominate a black woman in the name of racial justice and equity is the same man who was singularly, singularly responsible for the high-tech lynching of Clarence Thomas. I, had, I don't want to say I'd forgotten about it, but to put it in those terms, so extraordinarily important. Joe Biden wants to just break new ground with a black female. Doesn't matter whether she's the best and the brightest, the the most qualified, etc. We want a black female because we've never had one before. When Clarence Thomas, a black male, was put up as a nominee, Joe Biden led the high-tech lynching of Clarence Thomas, the character assassination of Clarence Thomas aiding and abetting that ridiculous lie about Coke cans and so forth. We all remember what happened. So Joe Biden, whose career of being bigoted and racist is well-documented in his own words, now wants to try to erase that characterization, wants to erase his personal history of racism by being the man who put the first black woman on the Supreme Court. I find that to be just shy of hysterical. So, if you want to talk about that today, so do I. I welcome you at 216-9010945 and triple eight two eight one eleven ten. Let me bring up another. The political prisoners who continue to be held in Washington, D.C. jails, and there are still a couple hundred of them that I believe, uh, many of them in absolutely deplorable conditions because of their participation in the January 6th protests that turned into a riot in part of the building. And they did. I'll call it a riot. It is in no way an insurrection. It was in no way a coordinated attack. It was indeed a protest that got out of hand, as many protests do. Of course, many protests are planned to get out of hand and become riots. Which brings me to this other top story. Montez Terrell Lee is a 26-year-old who set a fire in a Minneapolis pawn shop two years ago during the 2020 George Floyd riots in the summer of racial reckoning in the interest of a dead career criminal with a drug overdose that killed him as he lay under the knee of an idiot cop who had no earthly idea what the hell it means to be sensible and smart. Uh, but because George Floyd died, you know, uh, cities had to burn, particularly African-American neighborhoods and downtown areas in uh, in cities had to burn. So one of the fires that was set was by Montez Terrell Lee. That fire turned out to be a deadly fire. That means he was responsible for a homicide. Court documents show that he admitted he burned down the Maxit pawn shop on May 28th, the same night, uh, rioters in Minneapolis 3rd Precinct, or excuse me, set the Minneapolis 3rd Precinct on fire as well, following uh, uh, Floyd's death. The charred remains of a 30 year old named Oscar Lee Stewart were found in the rubble after, and his death was attributed to the fire. It was a deadly fire that took a life. That's homicide. But here's the story this man was spared a murder charge, even though the medical examiner determined that this man died in the fire. They declined to charge Montez Terrell Lee with murder. And now a judge has granted the request of not the defense attorneys, but the federal prosecutors to show leniency. And this man who committed arson and killed a person has been sentenced to just 10 years in prison. Federal prosecutors invoked Martin Luther King Jr. somehow and asked the judge to show leniency. The judge agreed. Ten years in federal prison, much less than the 16.5 to 20-year punishment outlined in the sentencing guidelines. How? Why? Because the uh, federal prosecutors are operating under George Soros-led district attorney guidances. Leniency particularly when it comes to violent criminals who are of a certain racial demographic. Because equity is the most important thing in our rule of law today. Actually, it's the most important thing that eliminates, gets rid of, ignores the rule of law. So this guy gets 10 years, about half of what he should have gotten, for a uh, an arson murder because, well, because leniency, because equity. I bring that up, of course, because... There were riots in the Capitol that did not lead to anybody's death other than one of the quote-unquote rioters, one of the protesters, Ashley Babbitt. And they're being held without bond, without trials, for crying out loud. They're being charged with insurrection. They didn't set fires in the Capitol. This guy burned a building down and killed somebody in the process and gets leniency. Somebody find fundamental fairness in the law. Because I can't find it. And one more quick one before the uh, break here, as uh, 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 we uh, get into this Friday free-for-all, and I start taking phone calls at 216 You know the name Leah Thomas, right? Leah Thomas is the University of Pennsylvania guy who is uh, uh, swimming on the UPenn uh, swimming team with the girls because he says he is a girl, and because of NCAA rules and apparently University of Pennsylvania rules, uh, he has to be treated like one. And that means not just swimming with the girls, but showering with the girls. Changing in the locker room with the girls. Now, if you had thought when this was going on that you probably expected that person to be very, very private and to hide himself and his... uh, in his state of undress from the other girls and not look at them, you would have been wrong. We all would have been wrong. The girls are starting to speak out, and they are very, very uncomfortable because this guy, Leah Thomas, does not cover himself or his male genitals, which, according to the girls, indicate that he is sexually attracted to women. He might want to be a woman, but he is attracted to women. And they are just getting freaked out by the fact that he gets to go in there, strip naked while they strip naked, put on their swimsuits, take their showers, dress back into their clothes, etc. If you thought we had heard the worst of what is going on here with this extraordinary trans movement, to make sure that this man, and he is a male, to make sure that this man's feelings don't get hurt because he has this psychological delusion that he wants to be a female, these girls, actual females, have to be put into very dangerous positions. And they are expected to stay silent and do nothing about it. There's more to that story too. So I've got a lot of things to get to. I told you it's a free for all. I could hit you with probably six, seven, eight, nine, ten different leading stories that you can comment on today, and I'll do my best to do that. And he listened to you on AM 1420 the Answer. Okay, 927. Thanks for being with us on AM 1420. The answer. That story, the last story that I told you, it's just. The Rainbow Coalition, the Rainbow Mafia, that is the LGBTQ, XYZ, exclamation point, question mark group, they are continuing to hurt women, real women, biological women, anatomical women. Uh, Genetic women, chromosome women, they're hurting women, and nobody is standing up for the women. Why? Because you can't offend somebody with a psychological delusion. You're not allowed to offend them by saying, you, guy with the package, yeah, you, the one who's got the really big bulge in the front of his female swimming suit, you have to take that package into the male dressing room and showers and change in there because you don't belong in the other one. There's a big difference between you and them. One of Leah Thomas' teammates told the Daily Mail in an interview they are uncomfortable sharing the locker room with this uh, transgender person, this male named Leah Thomas. It's definitely awkward, she said, because Leah still has male body parts and is still attracted to women. The swimmer said that multiple teammates have raised their concerns with their coach trying to get this guy booted from the locker room. We are basically told that we could not ostracize Leah by not having him in the locker room, and there's nothing we can do about it. The teammate added that Leah Thomas appears to enjoy all the attention and said it affects the team more than it does him. And Thomas previously competed on the UPenn men's swim team for three years, Uh, before transitioning or starting a transition in 2019. This is insane. How many more attacks do we need to see in female bathrooms, like the one at the schools in Loudoun County, Virginia, with guys saying, I'm non-binary, I can go to whichever restaurant I want, a restaurant, restroom I want, and goes in there and sexually assaults women. To say nothing of the other part of that story, which is Leah Thomas, has been as a biological male so physically superior to biological females that he's destroying women 's swimming they have no chance they're they're disheartened they've been training their entire lives to be division one college athletes and to try to win championships <clears throat> excuse me that they have trained for and they get in the pool knowing doggone well that they're all fighting for second place because some guy is over there just lapping the field how is this positive? For women, how is this a positive experience for women and girls? Somebody is going to have to explain that to me. Because women and girls are being sacrificed, being treated as non entities by the rainbow mafia, which says the pretend girl is the only one whose feelings matter. And the pretend girl is the only one that we care about if in, in terms of safety. It is just ludicrous. All right, we've got more, a lot more coming up. Uh, right after this on AM 1420, the answer.
0: Spreading the light of liberty and holding the line against the darkness of tyranny. Always right with Bob Franz on AM 1420.
1: The answer. Okay, 936. Good Friday morning to you. Joe Biden said it during his campaign that if elected president, he would... Uh, Select an African-American female to uh, to be nominated for the United States Supreme Court. He has held true to that now that Breyer has announced his retirement. Tweeting yesterday, quote, The person I nominate to replace Justice Breyer will be someone with extraordinary qualifications, character, experience, and integrity. And they will be the first black woman nominated to the United States Supreme Court. Incredibly interesting. Racial discrimination. Uh, and affirmative action in action to appoint a justice who will be on the court, most likely uh, in time to hear cases about racial discrimination and affirmative action. In college admissions, by way of the Supreme Court's hearing of the Harvard and UNC cases, simply an amazing development. Joining us now to discuss where we are and what this means to the court going forward is the Vice President at the Institute for Constitutional Government, Director of the Meese Center for Legal and Judicial Studies, and Senior Legal Fellow at Heritage Foundation, John Malcolm. John, thanks for the time this morning. How are you, sir?
2: I'm doing fine Bob. Good to be with
1: you. Good to be with you as well. Isn't the irony here just so so thick to know that uh you know Joe Biden by pushing his identity politics narrative and platform in the same way that he filled out his presidential cabinet has decided to eliminate some of the most extraordinary talented jurists in the country simply because of their sex and or the the way that they look, the color of their skin is going to uh, disqualify them from consideration and when the african-american female is nominated and confirmed that person is going to be asked to make impartial decisions on the very same process
2: well look i am no fan of identity politics i don't believe in quotas i think that everybody should be uh, judged on the individual merits of his or her you know record and qualifications temperament and judicial philosophy you know that having been said I'm quite sure he's going to be able to find uh, a, a capable uh, African-American woman. He's going to keep his promise uh, to name an African-American woman to the bench. And, and yes, it is certainly true that uh, you know that, that this new justice will likely sit on the, the Harvard and North Carolina racial preferences case. And it's probable uh, that that case is going to be argued next term and not this term. I don't think that decision has been, been completely made. But, you know, look, everybody's got... A uh, uh, skin color, and and you can know, sit there and say, well, you know, an African American person is no less qualified to consider a racial preference case than uh, a white, uh, a white judge. But you know, judges are supposed to be judges, and they're supposed to rule on the law, not based on their their gender, their ethnicity, skin pigmentation, sexual orientation, or whatever.
1: Well, no, I completely concur. Um, of course, there are. Thousands, tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of, quote, capable black women, um, you know, who could do a job like this. But when it comes to capable women who have the experience, uh, Abigail Schreier tweeted this yesterday. You can give me a reaction to this. She said, while millions of black women have character, intelligence, and integrity, the components that Biden mentioned, there are approximately only four of them who have anything close to the experience necessary on the bench to be a Supreme Court justice. That is a tiny pool to restrict his search to. So I guess my point, and I think her point, is it's not about can he find somebody capable who fits his uh, appearance and sex criteria, but can he find the very best the very best person to sit for three or four decades on the most powerful court in the land because that should be his task. The best, not the one who looks a certain way.
2: Well, look, I, I agree with that. Uh, I think you should look for the best, most qualified person, regardless of, of their skin color or, or, or gender. Um, but and, and, you know, Abigail is saying that there are really four qualified people. I mean, there are, are several judges. I could probably count kind of like six or seven that have been mentioned as potential shortlisters. There are two sort of at the top of that uh, right. list, Katanji Brown-Jackson, Leandra Kruger. But, you know, hey, Elena Kagan uh, was appointed to the Supreme Court having never been a judge before. Others in the past have William Rehnquist, Lewis Powell. They were never judges. And, they, and they've and they been, you know, very capable Supreme Court justices. So it's not it's not impossible that he could reach outside the bench uh, to find somebody. As you say, there are are capable uh, people out there it really all depends on you know just who's who is he trying to please and how contentious the supreme court confirmation they're all contentious but how contentious is the supreme court confirmation yeah. hearing that he you want does he want somebody who is, has a record of being more of a centrist or do you want somebody who has a record of being more of a radical they have look there are 50 democrats on the senate and and kamala harris breaks a tie so if they all stick together even if no republicans cross over they can appoint whoever they want to. It really just depends on, you know, what the president is thinking in terms of how big a fight he wants to pick, who he wants to please, and what sort of a judge he or no, what sort of a person he wants to do his justice on the highest court in the land.
1: Here's an interesting uh, question about this process. We're talking with John Malcolm, Heritage Foundation Vice President, Institute for Constitutional Government, and also the Director of the Meese Center for Legal and Judicial Studies. Um, I wouldn't want to be a Republican uh... on the uh... in the senate who is uh... on the the judicial uh... the um, uh... judiciary committee you know judiciary thank you (laughs) I'm, i'm tripping over it sure because if you ask difficult questions of this particular nominee inevitably you're going to be accused of racism if you express doubt about their ability or if you say this is not uh... the person with the right judicial temperament these are all certain kind of buzzwords that have been used in past nominations and confirmation hearings If they're, if they're critical in any way, they're going to be accused of race. Why are you trying to stop a black woman from being appointed to the court? It was similar, you know, to, to the criticism level to Barack Obama as a presidential candidate. You just don't want a black president. It's not about, it's not about experience or policy or platform or integrity. It's just you don't want a black. This is what's going to happen because Joe Biden has made race first and foremost the first qualification, not experience on the bench or not extraordinary experience in other fields, as you say, Elena. Kagan and others who did not sit on the it he has said, it's not that's not what I'm looking for. First, the first thing I'm looking for is the right skin and the right a uh, uh, set of chromosomes. So if you criticize, that is going to be the first thing that they use in a, in defense of that. I wouldn't want to be a part of that questioning.
2: Well, even if he hadn't made that pledge, if he in fact did nominate an African American woman, uh, or you know that that would be the first thing that, that liberals would say it just comes with the territory you know if you if you're gonna these days if you're conservative and you question the bona fides of any minority candidate you're going to be accused of being a racist sexist homophobe fill in the blank the problem is, is that when when that is your first resort of attack rather than assuming people are you know people of goodwill for the most part and it's thrown around so often that after a while those words which are meant to hurt lose their currency and that's uh you know so yeah the republicans are going to question that and so they're going to have to be a little bit careful i suppose and rely on past comments or focus on temperament focus on judicial philosophy obviously none of them are gonna, well, let's, or, none of the republicans are going to question them on the basis of the fact that they're black or a woman
1: let's let's look at past comments too because this is something that i'm very interested uh in uh sure. john malcolm janice rogers brown was nominated to the federal bench, the second highest court in the land by, uh, then President George Bush, George W. Bush in 03 and 05. Um, and the, the, the ringleader in opposing and filibustering to stop her from being appointed and seated at that bench was none other than Joe Biden. He opposed and filibustered to stop her from being seated, said she was radical, and as long as we're playing this game, I think we can all remember Joe Biden this great champion of identity and race uh bringing uh, uh you know a diverse number of people to the court. This is the same guy that led the quote unquote high-tech lynching of African American male in this case Clarence Thomas. How can Joe Biden be the guy who is uh, Mr. I am the one trying to bring uh you know racial equity to our courts when he has been the biggest opponent of certain very highly qualified African Americans in the past?
2: Well, and you certainly could have added Miguel Estrada, an eminently capable Hispanic oh, that's man, so true. That's uh, great uh, to uh, to the list too. At a time when Joe Biden was was chairman of the Senate Judiciary Committee, look, you know, <laughs> Joe Biden can portray himself however he wants to. He's the same president who who led toughening all of our our drug laws, which have been which have been labeled by by people on the left as being racially discriminatory, and now he's in favor of doing away with all the drug laws that he championed. So, you know, he can portray himself however he wants to. He can say he's going to be moderate and then run run to the left. Uh, you know, <laughs> Joe, if, for instance, let's pick. Suppose he nominates Katenji Jackson Brown. Three Republicans voted last year to elevate her from being a district court judge to a circuit court judge. It is no, none other than Joe Biden who has said, ah, there is a fundamental distinction between not being nominated to a lower court and nominated to the Supreme Court. The same Joe Biden who voted to confirm Clarence Thomas to the D.C. Circuit and then voted against him when he was being nominated to the Supreme Court. So hypocrisy can run rampant uh, Mm -hmm. and, you know, they're going to roll labels around. But, you know, these senators still need to be stalwart and question the nominee, whoever she is, on the basis of judicial philosophy, temperament and qualifications. Judicial philosophy is fair game. The Democrats have been claiming that ever since uh, Robert Bork was nominated. If it's fair game uh, for the Democrats, certainly fair game for the Republicans.
1: Um... A lot of people feel like Joe Biden hasn't learned from his mistake with his appointment of Kamala Harris to his his ticket. Um, She has been an abject disaster as a vice president. She has done nothing with the one task she was given to be the border czar. We continue to have a porous border. Nothing is being done. Uh, She has embarrassed herself and the Oval Office on numerous occasions by not having any answers to even moderately difficult questions. But he was stuck with Kamala Harris because he said, and when he was uh, running, I'm going to pick a running mate who is a black female. Again, limiting his choices to from some tr- tremendously progressive uh, individuals who might have been a real asset to the ticket. He takes somebody who is so wholly unpopular, even with his own party, she got 1% in polling before dropping out in December of 2019 in the presidential race. My point being, this has been a failure when he, when he narrowed his choices down and got stuck with Kamala. Wouldn't you think he would perhaps broaden that uh you know that list or that uh uh you know his uh his uh qualification list for for something like Supreme Court?
2: Yeah, I you know, he, he's not gonna do it. He's not gonna do it for several reasons. One is at the moment he happens to be unpopular with African Americans and he certainly needs their support for the midterms, if not for the twenty twenty four elections. In addition, it's being it's been reported that Jim Clyburn, who's a very senior advisor, who was whose support for him was absolutely critical to biden winning the south carolina democratic primary and then moving on to actually get the nomination it's being reported that Clyburn extracted a promise from joe biden that if he got to be president he was going to appoint an african-american woman to the supreme court and you know he's just not going to go back on that on that promise there are qualified african-american women out there it's just a question of you know is he going to go with somebody who's going to be relatively easy to confirm or it's going to be harder to criticize? Or is he going to go with, with someone who has a track record of making rather radical statements uh, that will be easier uh, to pick apart, even though anybody who tries to do so is going to be labeled as misogynist and a racist? Mm-hmm.
1: We are talking with John Malcolm of the Heritage Foundation, talking about the Supreme Court nomination soon to be made by Joe Biden. He has declared it will be a black female. To that end, there are two huge names that I just want to ask you about. One is the vice president. Some has uh, some have suggested that uh, uh, President Biden could perhaps improve his situation by appointing her to the Supreme Court, thereby fulfilling his promise, fulfilling his promise of a black female and also giving him a chance to bring in a perhaps stronger vice president to uh, improve the um, uh, you know the sinking polling numbers of the administration at the same time. So what are, what are your thoughts about the pos- prospect of Kamala Harris? And then also, a name that's just being floated around, never been a judge, but is extraordinarily popular in, uh, uh, in liberal circles, and would bring uh, her former president husband, along with her, back into uh, the public spotlight in Michelle Obama.
2: Well, I haven't heard Michelle Obama's name being floated in the past. She said she's not interested. I would doubt that she would want to be a Supreme Court uh, a justice. But you know, I, this is a strange town, and bizarre things happen inside the Beltway, so you never know. Same kind of thing with with Kamala Harris. So Biden, she has said she's not interested in the job. Biden has said that you know, if he runs again, and, and he's likely to run again, wants her by his side of it, boy, that would be something to take somebody who's not working out quite so well, who's got the job of being vice president for another three, possibly seven years to remove them from that position, put them on the highest court in the land where she would be likely to sit there for another 30 plus years. I mean, if you want to dump somebody from the ticket, there have got to be less painful ways of doing it. If you think somebody's incompetent as the vice president, just try them on the Supreme Court
1: well you're I, I concur by the way, I, I think it would be a terrible thing to do, but there are you know uh, more progressive commentators who have said she would be a fantastic supreme court justice she 's brilliant blah 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 Uh it doesn 't come through in her position as vice president and if she was on the court she wouldn 't have to do interviews pretty much ever, which of course have been a, a terrible thing for her now listen i 'm not a betting man i don 't gamble and bet on sports even though i 'm a huge sports fan but i don 't like losing money i 'm going to ask you to do it though. can you handicap some names right now? who do you like and i don 't mean who you would prefer but who do you think right. are the most likely choices for president biden here john malcolm
2: well the two easiest picks in terms of having a relatively clear confirmation would be a judge on the dc circuit tetanji brown jackson she is a former briar clerk she was at one time a federal defender the president's now nominated a lot of people who were federal defenders she was a district court judge she's i think 51 uh, she's a district court judge for a number of years, got elevated to the D.C. Circuit. She replaced Merrick Garland last June. She was confirmed, got votes from Lisa Murkowski, Susan Collins, and Lindsey Graham. So she's been through this process twice before and recently. Uh, the other name that I think would be a relatively easy pick is Leandra Kruger. She is a considered a moderate justice on a very liberal court, the California Supreme Court. Uh, she was a, um, a John Paul Stevens clerk. She worked in the Solicitor General's office and argued 12 cases in front of the Supreme Court. She worked in the Office of Legal Counsel, providing legal advice, uh, to, you know, every department uh, in the United States. Uh, be, th- those would be relatively easy confirmations for the president. I think if he wants to go really tough, he's going to nominate a Cheryl Neifel, uh, who is the president and, and, and general counsel of the NAACP legal defense. Fun. She's certainly very liberal, very activist, a uh, bit of a bomb thrower. I've met her personally, pleasant person, but, you know, a real bomb thrower. Or maybe he could even go along and go with a Melissa Murray, who's a very, very liberal uh, law professor at NYU Law School, frequent commentator on MSNBC. And if he's thinking of local politics, he could go with Michelle Child district court judge in South Carolina, who's now been nominated to replace, uh, been nominated to the D.C. Circuit. She is a favorite of Jim Clyburn or Stacey Abrams' sister, who is a federal judge in the Middle District of Georgia. Of course, Stacey Abrams is running for governor uh, in Georgia, and there's a uh, going to be a hotly contested Senate race in Georgia, too. So I'd say those are the names to watch. There are other names on the list, uh, but those are the names to
1: watch. Those are some uh, interesting names, particularly because you described a couple of them as being a little bit more moderate and a couple of them as being very, very liberal. Um What's in Biden's best interest politically when it comes to this appointment as far as that ideology? Because according to the polls, all of which have him down in the 30s. Uh, Kamala Harris is down in the 20s, for goodness sakes. But the worst part about those polls, John Malcolm, is that uh, it's not just with Republicans. He is far, far underwater with independents, particularly even in a lot of blue states that he himself won uh, in uh, in the last election. He's underwater with, with independents. So if he goes really liberal with one of the picks you just mentioned – he further alienates them, but then again, if he goes with the more moderate, kind of like Breyer, uh, who's more of a pragmatist, then he loses more, more uh, favor with his base.
2: Well, the Democrats, you know, I, I don't listen to Democrats when they offer me political advice. I assume they're not going to listen to me when I offer them <laughs> political advice. So, you know, I, I think that, um, you know, so demand justice, which is about the most liberal organization out there. They were the ones that had a, a truck driving by the Supreme Court at the end of last term, Saying retire Breyer now. Uh, they put together a list. Katenji Brown Jackson is on that list. Uh, so not Leandra Kruger. I'm not sure why. Uh, So if you wanted to go with somebody who will certainly come across as being more moderate, uh, and it would be hard pressed for the hard left to say that, you know, this is a terrible pick. You really missed an opportunity. You probably go with Katenji Brown. Uh, Jackson, but you, you know, you, you've nailed it. I mean, there's sort of moderates and independents who are looking for one thing. And then there are, uh, you know, the BLM Antifa folks mm-hmm. who are looking for something else. Uh, so, uh, and and he's, he's got all sorts of political small p and big p things running through his head. To me, this is such an important position in our government, you just go with the best person who has the qualifications and the temperament and happens to fit the judicial philosophy you have as president. This president does not have the same judicial philosophy. I would but elections have
1: consequences. There you go. That's exactly right. We hear that repeated over and over again. It's going to be a heck of a ride watching, watching this thing play out. No doubt about it. John Malcolm, Vice President, Institute for Constitutional Government with the Heritage Foundation. John, thanks for your analysis of this entire thing. We appreciate it.
2: It was great to be
1: with you. All right, thank you sir. 956, quick time out, right back. AM 1420 the answer.